And we are live. Another episode of the post game here. I'm Charlie DeCirco hosting this week as AJ just got in just on time to start this uh, episode. Uh, AJ, how you doing? Oh, I, I'm doing absolutely great. Just grabbed grab some lunch. Uh, been doing working on a paper lately. Uh, been pretty busy, pretty busy, but great. And how about you, Ryan? How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Happy to be back in the studio. Not as uh, exciting or busy as AJ, but you know, we're here. You know, every every <laughs> week here, we kind of talk about uh, college basketball, Syracuse basketball, but. On the greater scheme of the college basketball world, news just kind of blew up. I mean, what, there are five or six Hall of Fame coaches involved in this NCAA scandal that involves playing their players, including a non-Hall of Fame coach, Sean Miller, who is not coaching right now for Arizona. Um, Ryan, I know you are very much have hard feelings on this, so I guess I'll let you start, and then let's all pick up from there. Yeah, I mean, this this threatens the sanctity of college basketball, right? I mean, this is this threatens amateurism as it pertains to college sports as a whole. And I think that, you know, there's been a growing feeling in college sports um, generally that there are some impermissible benefits that should maybe be allowed and that athletes were probably getting them. But when you expand to the idea of a player potentially getting $100,000, like DeAndre Ayton, um, no evidence has been mounted against Aiton himself that he actually was even aware that this was a possibility, let alone cashed in on any of that. Um, but that Sean Miller had at least discussed offering him that kind of money, it really makes you reconsider like what might be going on behind the scenes in college sports. And there's been a lot of teams um, that have been identified in this FBI probe. Right? We've got Alabama, Duke, Kentucky, LSU, Maryland, Michigan State, NC State, North Carolina, Seton Hall, Texas, USC, and Washington. Definitely yeah. some big names. You go back all the way to last year, um, Markel Fultz potentially receiving $10,000. Dennis Smith Jr. at NC State potentially getting a five-figure payment. I, I think that when you look at those kinds of things, a lot of people say, okay, $10,000, 5 figure payment might be, again, like a low number, like 10000 for a guy like Dennis Smith Jr. who's in the NBA now having a great rookie season. And people might be willing to let those kinds of things slide, but not 100000 for Aiton. When you look at the fact that potentially Arizona was going to offer Aiton $100,000, and maybe they did, we don't know yet, or at least they were open to the idea of it, I think you have to acknowledge that maybe those $10,000 that the FBI has discovered, the low five-figure payments, isn't the entire story. Because, you know, Arizona's a destination recruiting-wise. You know, and the fact that you could get a player of Marco Fultz's caliber to go to Washington for only 10000 but that you would have to consider giving 100000 to Aiton to get him to go to Arizona, I think means that we don't know the full story yet. And we know that this is an ongoing investigation, an ongoing probe by the FBI. I think that there's a lot more to it, though, even though some big bombs have dropped already. Yeah, and I don't even think that the teams that you listed off, I think there's a lot more colleges that are involved. Oh, no question. There, yeah. there, there's no doubt in my mind that that is a abridged list of teams oh, at yeah. the end of the game. Maybe maybe current players now. I still think there's many players that have not been listed across the league. But, For sure. I mean, if you go back in the years, you're looking at – I mean, obviously Kentucky had a ton of freshmen. They bring in so many freshmen every year. UNC – uh, they're not listed on the teams that are having impermissible benefits, but they're listed down below that had uh, meetings with Dawkins, who runs the management firm that kind of distributed right, all the money. ASM. So you're looking at every college across the United States that has somewhat of a good basketball team has been involved in this corruption case. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at schools that have active players implicated, at least, it's, it's Colin Sexton at Alabama, Wendell Carter at Duke, Kevin Knox at Kentucky, Miles Bridges at Michigan State, Brian Bowen at South Carolina, Eric Davis Jr. at Texas, and Benny Boatwright at USC. And then there's a ton of schools with former players implicated. I right. think the other question that this begs, other than, okay, what don't we know as far as the payments are concerned, what you know, as far as what size and what type of benefits we're talking about, is if teams, like, 
uh, Arizona are potentially bidding $100,000 for guys like DeAndre Ayton. All the schools who haven't been caught yet, who were in his final five list, his final seven list during the recruiting trail, what were they offering him? Did he not go there because they didn't offer him anything? Or did he not go there because they didn't offer him enough? Does that mean right. everyone's guilty, right? And we won't know for a while until more is discovered. But that's the question it begs. Yeah, for all we know, there could be bidding wars for recruits coming out of high school. This, this opens a door onto a ton of possibilities that people probably haven't even thought about. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, this always just comes back in circles to the widely debated, do you pay college athletes? Right. I mean, like, th this this is always a discussion. This is always something that players talk about, how, you know, was it Shabazz Napier, I believe, went to bed hungry? Well, right? right. Yeah, I wrote I'm saying. But no, like, I just, goes, the, only, the only reason I respond like that is I wrote an article about that specific quote when that happened, I don't know, five years ago or whatever. And that, like, so this this doesn't sum up my feelings entirely for college sports, but just to Shabazz Napier in particular, I was so annoyed and uh, ticked off by his quote specifically because he comes out off the team bus with the newest iPhone, with Beats on, you know, with with the nicest clothes, with the nicest shoes, and then says he goes to bed hungry. And I'm telling you, it's it's not an like I'm not telling you players shouldn't be paid, but I'm telling you that if he's going to bed hungry, it's an issue of money management, not an issue. Totally. Money. I, yeah, I to begin with. with. I mean, yeah, when you go from nothing to something, that always happens with players. We, I mean, you see it all the time with professionals across every single sport. Once you get to the big life, like Allen Iverson, you spend your money on everything right. you, you want to hit up your friends. Even in the rap world, like Kanye West, like he gave his money away to all his family, like, and he can't say no. Like That's how a lot of players are. And right, I, and I have respect for that part of it. I'm just saying for, for him to say, oh, we go to bed hungry, I think that might have been a stretch. Um, as far as like you do get meals at school, like you get the regular dining hall meals and then they, they added in snacks after that quote. Right. But like snacks aren't the difference maker in going to bed hungry. I just don't think that that was exactly accurate as far as portraying the issues maybe with not paying players. Right. And the and the amateurism of the sport is why I think personally the college basketball is better than the NBA. I agree. Because I think that these kids are playing for something now, of course. You know, five figures or six figures. Now it implicates things a little bit more. But they're still playing for that million-dollar contract in the NBA, and I think that competitive nature, especially for teams like in the play in the in the um, March Madness tournament, the teams that upset other like the big-time teams, these guys probably don't get paid anything yet. They're coming out and playing for the sport, and that's what makes March Madness such a attractive base for fans across the league. Well, as far yeah, I agree with you. As far as um, those smaller teams, though, like Seton Hall, while they're not a nobody school, like they're apparently implicated in this as well. So we right. might be and finding out that it does Seton extend. Seton Hall has always been one of those teams that that's upsets. kind of been on the back burner, upsetting maybe a 10 or 11 seed, come in and upset in the tournament. And they're always kind of like a Cinderella hopeful. So if we're looking at this potentially extending down to the Cinderellas, it might not leave anyone untouched. But I agree. I, I agree with you that the amateurism is what makes – the sport beautiful. It seems like players really are playing for the passion of the game. And I do think you threaten that, and I do think that has the potential to disappear if you start paying players large sums of money. I understand that there are issues as far as regulating why players can't get jobs, right? Because you might, if a player's working in food service and, they, and a booster comes in and anonymously gives them a $100,000 tip for serving for five minutes, well, then that's the same thing as paying the players under the table right now. I think the NCAA could be more involved in regulating that kind of thing and allowing players to work, allowing because like, that's the first thing, right? You take away someone's right to work outside of their sport. I think that's, I think everyone can agree. But that's, that's too but far. that's the thing about the college basketball is that you are even college football. You are playing all the time, seven days a week. If right. you're there, not there, there there's you're no class. time for a job. No. if but, you're but if there you're are in a D one football or basketball program, the, especially if you're one of the, the these types of teams who have been. Uh, 
exposed in the scandal. I'm not saying every player can work that, and I'm not saying star players at big schools can work that, but there are players who have come out and said that they want to be able to do that. They do have the time to do that in the offseason, and the NCAA doesn't even allow them to. So I'm saying the first step, I'm just, just preliminarily, right? Just preliminarily, let's let players get normal jobs, right? Let's not take away their right to work and then wonder why they complain about not having any money. I mean, we saw that with Syracuse at the YMCA, and it was all fake. They they got jobs at the YMCA, and the next thing you know, they're busted because they actually, you know. Right, well, so, so I'm saying instead of the NCAA trying to regulate all these things that are going on under the table and apparently whiffing on all of it, oh, let's yeah. just try and get involved in monitoring and making sure that those things are real and, yeah. really, and really making sure that, that they're doing it the right way. As far as the next step, you know, paying players um, for maybe their likeness or whatnot, it becomes a lot more unclear as to what the thing is to do yeah, there. Yeah, that's where it becomes pretty cloudy. I mean, like, we had the whole thing with the NCAA football video games uh, being taken down. You've had players like Johnny Manziel be outspoken about his jersey literally getting sold by the hundreds of thousands. Yeah, I was going to say that. By the hundreds of thousands, people like Johnny Manziel had their likeness portrayed in a, in a, in a campus bookstore where people are spending good money to put their number on your back. And there's only two people that profit from that, the, the school itself and the NCAA. Totally. Right. Well, and with regards to the NCAA and who their, their interests lie with, uh, Jeff Van Gundy said over the weekend with regards to this whole controversy, the quote is, uh, the NCAA is one of the worst organizations, maybe the worst organization in sports. They certainly don't care about the athlete. They're going to act like they're appalled by all these things going on in college basketball. Please. It's ridiculous, and it's all coming down on the coaches. So I think that like there is also, like we mentioned, kind of growing suspicion about what's going on, a growing animosity with the NCAA yeah. as an organization. I, I've never once heard a player, coach, or whoever go out to the media and say something positive about the NCAA in terms of the way that it treats fans, players, coaches, organization members, period. Yeah, they just make millions and millions and millions of dollars, and they just keep it for themselves. Right, and I think when the organization began, and even up until right, and even up until maybe you know twenty years ago, before TV contracts really started growing, it may have been more fair of an organization. Maybe I'm not. I, I was never involved with it. I certainly was barely alive, so I can't really speak to it wholly. But I think that there's a, there's a potential that maybe that all started changing with the growth of TV contracts and big money in college sports, which you can't deny. So the question of then course. again, we come back to the same thing. What do you do with that money? My, my solution, I think that athletes, I think college athletes should be paid, but I think that they should be paid evenly. I don't think that a, a star quarterback should be able to profit off of their likeness any more than the third string offensive tackle. See, that's where I disagree. Um, and I, right. well, so that's, in my opinion, the only way you can preserve that amateurism. But, that's, but, you can, you, but to preserve, preserve that amateurism, you start out with a base salary of everyone that Everyone in the in college that gets the same amount of money, but if you're Johnny Manziel and you're selling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jerseys a week, and players are put, are buying that jersey solely because they want that number on their back, there is no way that well, he should not be able to make some so money. I, off so of I have it. a proposed totally solution. Agree. Totally I have a proposed agree. solution for that as well. Syracuse University, forty four is the number we sell in the bookstore. Yeah. Each university should put down one number they get to sell. And well, that's that it. that that's exactly where it's going right now. I mean, currently, if you go into bookstores, every university, every major Division one level university is supposed to have a generic number or or likeness to sell at a bookstore, so that they're not profiting off of yeah. individual athletes. But you know. 
you still see you know fake jerseys being sold, things along that. But fake nature. jerseys it's never the the fake jerseys. Like if you go on you know AliExpress or whatever and buy a jersey from China of an NBA player, like they don't get any shares of that because right. it's fake. Right. So yeah, and that's, so there's that's no okay. Right. So that's my thing. The NCAA has to has to be strict and say that these schools have to pick one number, and maybe you can only change it what once a decade, barring extreme circumstances, right? A- and then and then say you know if Johnny Manziel comes in and wears whatever number he wants, but you pick number seventy three as your number. That's what it is. People can buy number seventy three at the bookstore, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, but I, I just I just don't know. Even Syracuse is a little bit of a mixture. I mean, I when I toured this campus, uh, my junior year, it was Tyler Ennis and Syracuse making that twenty and nothing twenty zero run the to start one the season, team in right? The country, yeah. yeah, and I bought an Iceman. It's an Iceman on it, and then the Canadian little symbol between the chest, and then there was a number one, I believe, was his number on the back. And, and you bought and it at the bookstore. I bought it at the bookstore. Right, my so dad I, bought it for me. So I'm saying that shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, but I mean, but I think that if your team is doing so well and you know you can profit off it, why not sell it and just give a portion back to the players? Because now Syracuse gets more money, they can funnel it back into academics or to the to the yeah, athletics you know itself. Because happen. you know, obviously, but but like that's something that you can regulate. Because if you because no one's going to the women's volleyball games, the, the money. But like you can you can put the money that you make profit off of big sports like basketball when they're doing so well and funnel it back there. You have to because of Title yes. Nine. But I'm just saying. When you, the money is not the issue here as far as the universities being able to profit off of their athletic programs and, and do good things for that money. When college, there was a, there was a report, I don't remember, what, maybe 2012, that came out and, and a bunch of schools had essentially said that like, they don't profit from their programs. They're either, they're either breaking even or they're losing money on their college football programs. And these were some of the biggest programs in college football. And it ends up being the reason is not because they can't. It's because if they profited, it would look so bad that they have to take all the money they profit and spend it all back on the program so that they take a loss on the season, essentially, to convince people that they don't have any money to give to give away to these players. So if the money was managed properly and you were allowed to pay players a little bit, you wouldn't even have that issue of having to profit off the jerseys because there'd be such an overflowing amount of money for each program at a major school. But I think that you also then have to like say, okay, if college football players are getting paid, and they're getting paid, or college basketball players, and they're getting paid based off of partly the brand of the school, then does the women's field hockey team also get paid because they contribute to that brand of Syracuse University, and and, mean, and that's where Title Nine comes into play with all this. Yeah, and that's and that's always the hardest thing that you have to decipher. You have to decipher whether, I mean, how much money do they make? They don't make anything. I I, I just I mean they should maybe be able to work. Obviously, like you said in the summer, right? Work and get get jobs there, and maybe during the week. It's a, it's a, every every D one school is intense with practice. Like I, right. I report for the Daily it's, Orange. It's just so a time commitment it. that that can't be broken by a job. Yeah, yeah. and but like the, the, there needs to be. I agree, there needs to be something, and I don't have the solution. I'm not, you know, the big got big guy at Syracuse that is going to be able to figure out a solution to pay the field hockey and women's volleyball players just as much as the basketball and football players. Maybe you give them a small salary, and then based off production or jersey sales you go up but then that that just turns into it marketing toward professional league and right. that's and then, where you have to keep the amateurism in place and then, you, and, and and then you have to question okay how do you calculate exactly who gets what and how much they exactly get? and that's I mean, something that I, I mean in all honesty what's going to happen and what probably should happen in my opinion is that players are going to continue to not be paid but there's going to be some slight amendments made to the you know core rules of it so maybe Maybe someone could go out and get themselves a job 
you know, on the side, but that could be just like a summer thing because they don't even have enough time during the year to to have a job during practice. Well, so so that that plays. But, but I I really don't think players are going to end up getting paid because of the scandal. That's well, I, what I'm saying. I agree with you, and I think that plays into the idea. Um, that has been talked a lot about with regards to the NCAA and the NBA and the one-and-done rule. And I've always been a proponent of essentially adopting what's the college baseball rule. You can go straight out of high school, but if you choose to go to college, there's a two- or three-year minimum, depending on what people would want to do for that rule. And I think that's entirely fair. You have the opportunity to forfeit your college eligibility and get paid immediately out of high school. But if you feel like you want to play on a bigger stage and you want to get more years with with better trainers and, and develop before you go to the pros and you go to college, then you're going to have to play by the college rules, and that is you don't get paid, and potentially you do get a scholarship, which I think people undervalue a lot. The tuition at Syracuse just got raised to over $70,000. Everyone I know is in debt because of the tuition here. So when people say, oh, the college education isn't real, oh, the, the, the scholarship isn't enough, let me tell you, if you want to make it real, you can make it real, and it's it is enough as yeah, far as seventy thousand totally. dollars. Matthew Moyer is in Newhouse, right? Right. So I've had classes going, out of, his, yeah, he's so going when, out of his way. When players, when people say that these players, like at North Carolina, where like the athletes were being essentially coerced into taking fake classes, that's a scandal. That's an issue. To me, that's the worst part. That's way worse than paying the players. These, that's not allowing these, them to get the education they came for. Yeah. But when a guy like Moyer proves to everyone that you can actually be successful with your education while you're at Syracuse, while you're at a major university playing a D1 sport. That shows you how valuable the scholarship can be. We're talking about $70,000 a year in value. These players are literally coming to a university. That is what's first. Maybe not in the terms, maybe not in the eyes of a lot of people and the public opinion of the world. You know, people go to school to play sports. Yes, I get that. But they're going to school to go to school as well. So they're coming to get their degree. And not all these players, especially at Syracuse, not all these players have ambitions to go to the NBA. Yeah, I'm I sure mean, all of them would like yeah, to potentially, but you know, a lot of them are probably realistic uh, and and are taking their academics seriously. So I don't think we should undervalue the fact that these players are allowed to get scholarships for academics. Yeah, exactly. And I and I do kind of like the high school role a little bit, but like you said, I just I just still don't know about the one and done. Like regardless, I don't even like them coming out of high school because then it just starts making the game younger and less. Uh, aggressive altogether as far as NBA goes, well, and then college basketball, you know, two to three years is ideal. That's what well, I so think. So I agree happen. with you. I think that if players start coming out of high school, it's bad for the NBA. I also think it's bad for the players coming out of high school because there are very, very, Raw. very few players who are able to compete at that level. There was like right I out of high five school. in the past ten right. years. That well, partly because the rule years. changed, but but, but still, but, even even coming into their freshman year, right? Who would have been able to potentially yes, compete in the NBA? So I don't to know if me, I can name five. Right. To me, what that says is that a few players are going to make the leap. And they're gonna get. Everyone else is gonna watch them be a message as to why you should go play for two or three years in college because professional sports now more than ever are incredibly impatient. Yeah. And if you don't produce day one, and if you look like a bust day one, if you get bullied day one, you're gonna be on the bench, and you're not gonna get a big paycheck. The second, you know, for your second contract, you might be out of the league. And I think that a lot of people are gonna see that happen out of high school if this rule takes place, and gonna take the message and go to college. Yeah. Definitely, the half of the first round of the NBA draft doesn't really play in their first season. So add together that plus another handful of raw 18-year-olds coming straight out of high school, those kids' odds of playing and improving in their first seasons go down significantly. They'll be in the D-League the whole year, maybe two, maybe three. And if that if you're in the D-League for three years, you you're not, no then you're not making a big big check in the NBA. No, not at right. all. So, so it would be worth it to take the $70,000 uh, scholarship 
to go to a good university like Syracuse. And, and people and then people say, oh, well, look at LeBron. He came right out of high school. Look how competitive he was. It's LeBron yeah, James. If, you, if, you, if you're coming out of high school and you think you're LeBron James, by all means go to the NBA. Yeah. But if you think you're LeBron James, you're probably a little he, out of touch, He was too. the number one player in high school since his sophomore year. Right. That's Right. Unless that's you, which it's not. Right. Then it's not right to come right out of high school. So I think that that's the direction that this should all be heading. And I think that that's probably where it's going to head, at least as far as basketball is concerned. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, AJ, you mentioned the competitive nature that comes to Syracuse. This past week, we saw two losses uh, at home against North Carolina and then on the road against Duke. I mean, I think our big man on campus, you know, our favorite segment was Marvin Bagley. I mean, he just destroyed Syracuse. It was. I think Duke shot like 20, 30%. And then Marvin Bagley was six or seven at the end of the first half. It was unbelievable. They they were shooting like garbage, and Marvin Bagley was playing unbelievable. And the game against UNC, they come back, and they just blow it. Again, we saw this against what? NC State. We see it all the time. That it's cardiac cues. Yeah, this, they, but like this, this time they Syracuse can't finish team it. Team is not a team that finishes, and it's so sad to pain me to say that I don't really see any way that they would get be able to get the opportunity to play in March Madness this year, no. even if they went out and destroyed Clemson. I, I, I don't have to think do well that that's enough. Unless they won the ACC tournament. I mean, the ACC tournament I, I'm right there with you. I'm right, well, because you're right, because then they'd have the auto bid. Right, but they'd course. have to essentially make the final round of the, of the ACC tournament to, right. to be back in that conversation, yeah. assuming they lose to Clemson. To me, you go on the national stage, and in the first half against Duke, you put up 16 points on ESPN. I mean, the, that's embarrassing. I didn't even that's think they were going to break 40. Right. They, they, somehow they just started making threes at the end of the game. Right. I mean, maybe because Duke stopped playing defense because I knew that they had the game locked. It was locked. It's just one of those things where, at least on an ESPN game, on a nationally televised game at primetime, you have to show up at the very least. You have to show up. And it's amazing because their defense shut down Duke's offense for the most part. Right, and and that's – right, so defense is always going to keep you in games. And then the offense just couldn't do anything. Exactly. Literally, because, like, you look at at, uh, the game and they were shooting – they didn't have a three until, I think, eight minutes left in the, the game. Right, Duke. Right, and they had what a thousand. It was a thousand something games that they yeah. had consecutively hit a three, and that was legitimately in danger at one point in the game. Yeah, for I, one of the best three point shooting teams in the ACC. I mean, Syracuse has been a pretty solid defensive team all season. It's just the struggles have been so so vast on the offensive side of the That's ball. That's because they don't run an offensive game. Right, they don't. They, <laughs> they, they don't. just they just pass the ball around the top of the key, try to cut in, then pass it out, and then shoot a three with a man in his face. And so I, I've discussed on the show many times before how much I, that, that annoys me, that offensive, uh, that lack of offensive progression. At this point in the season where we're starting to see this team has no potential to evolve on the offensive end, I actually am starting to go to like it. And the only reason why is because it limits the amount of possessions the other team gets. They're slowing the shot clock. Totally. They're slowing the game down. And if, for that reason only, it keeps games close, right? Defense because wins championships, but offense wins games. Because they know that they're not as good as games. these teams. Exactly. And so by, by playing strong defense and taking as long as they can on the offensive side of the ball – to keep their game, their, themselves in the game as long as possible to hopefully, but not this season, make shots down the street. And it's pretty funny just because, like, Syracuse beats UNC, Syracuse beats NC State during the tournament. There's yeah, no totally. question about that. And they had the opportunity. They had the perfect opportunity. They had to. a lead in both games, right? And they, or yeah. at least tied? They, they were leading NC State by double digits. Right. And North Carolina, they were tied. I don't know if they had a lead earlier, but they were tied yeah, with, like, a minute left. Right. And they had the ball. And Frank Howard had the opportunity to put them ahead. Right. And instead of some kind of broken play, and Frank Howard just dribble, crossover, pop a three from, like, three feet behind the arc right. and missed. Right. Brick. Right. It's, it's just it's it is just a it's broken record it's a broken record really and that it's always going to be like that for the Syracuse team uh they're going to beat Boston College handily most likely 
Uh, they're they're going to play Clemson at home, and we're going to discuss this later on the show. But it's just it's a broken record. Every time they get close to good teams, they're going to break down at the end, and the other team is just going to win. And right. that's just how it goes. Well, good teams they keep it close with, and great teams they get blown out by. Exactly. That's the story this season. And that's the story of Syracuse. And we will be right back. You are listening to the post game on WAER. So, uh, right before break, 
I was an idiot. Big mistake. <laughs> I said that we are listening on WAER. We're listening on WERW. That's um, just a classic Syracuse Newhouse mix-up. Yeah, no, yeah, that's that's, that's like a classic, classic yeah, mix-up. Yeah, that's always what you get when you're always working at radio stations and all that. But the reason why WAR is stuck in my head, you guys would love this. Um, this Thursday, actually, the Daily Orange plays WAR inside the Carrier Dome. Oh yeah, on the court the for the Media showdown. Cup, the big showdown. Last year, I played in it. I did not score. I had a bunch of rebounds and. There's all, and I looked. I listened back to the play-by-play because Z89 actually comes in and, and does the play-by-play, and Citrus does a TV thing on it. So you know it would be really funny, real quick. I'm What's sorry that? to interrupt your story, yeah. but I think we should go there, us three, representing WERW, yeah. and just have like some hipster clothes on yeah. and look like really out of place. Dude, I'll come. I'll come in with my daily orange shirt and I'll take it off mid-game and just play WERW. Baby. Nah, I think exactly. we have to get there early. I think we get there early and just start shooting around Shoot the court. Around. And when oh, they totally. come, they come. We got a game here. Play for, and then we play for court. Yeah. Play for court. We just and us three against them five. There are five. Against us we, you know what we could do? We can get out there and sandbag them for a little bit and like act like we're throwing up some bad shots, look really terrible, and then they come out. They're like, "Oh yeah, why don't we play for uh, the position to play against the Daily Orange and we cook us em. against WERW? We cook them, yeah. yeah. I'm, about I'm it. down but, for that. But yeah. So, so the funny part is actually, I so I listened back to the play-by-play on the game last year. Well, who who won this year? La- well, this year's this Thursday. Last year, WER oh, won. Last okay. Yeah. So they won last year. There were two guys, seniors, that were unbe- they were unconscious from three. The Daily Orange likes to play a 2-3 zone. Don't get me started about how stupid Yikes. that is. But So they were hitting all the threes. And But at the in the middle of the game, I was into the play-by-play. And the Z89 go, guys know all the radio guys, obviously, and they don't know the, the newspaper guys as much. So they like look down at their sheets and look at the numbers, and there's one play that my name is brought up, and it's big block by Starco. And I apparently had like a huge block, like knock that ball out of bounds. Like It was fun. It was a the highlight. Big block by Sturco. Exactly. <laughs> that was me on the Carrier Dome court, basically like Barama Cide Bay. Um, but yeah, let's well, get— Well, the difference is you were on the Carrier Dome court. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, injury prone. <laughs> Yikes. Know. Yeesh. Um, that, one, that one hurts. But moving, moving from the court to the football field, the gridiron— the good old grass fields. Blake what Bortles. About, but what about the turf fields? Ah, uh, yeah. We don't talk about the turf fields. The <laughs> good old. Bad for foot. <laughs> they hurt your knees. But um, Blake Bortles, you know, AFC AFC championship, right? They lost to the Patriots. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. They had that game. They had the game, right? They should have won. but should have. Blake Bortles received a three-year $54 million deal that includes 26 and a half guaranteed and 66 and a half Max, if he reaches in, in incentives, I mean, wow! That, well, that yeah, wow. They essentially said this is our guy. Yeah, which yeah. I think for a guy who a lot of people thought should be out of a job is really surprising. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm a Blake Bortles supporter. I guess I think that he isn't that bad. I think that there are a lot of mistakes that he makes, and there are refinements that need to be to, toward tailored to his game. But he was one batted pass away from going to the Super Bowl. Behind the best defense in football. Well, here's the thing. You, if you have the best defense in football, you can afford to have a guy who you know is going to go out there and manage a game like Blake Bortles. Uh, it's kind of like similar to – I hate to bring up this comparison yeah, so gonna, many times. I know times, exactly what you're going to say. But it's similar to the Baltimore Ravens with Joe Flacco. <laughs> I mean, Mark Sanchez with the Jets. This team, this 2013 Baltimore Ravens team had one of the the most consistently uh, dominant defenses in the NFL. And they came out there, they, they had a great wide receiving core, Anquan Bolden, Torrey Smith, Jacoby Jones. 
And in the postseason, they just all put on a show for Joe Flacco. And, and you know, it really doesn't matter when it all comes down to it for the Jacksonville Jaguars to have a quarterback better than Blake Bortles because the rest of their team can make up for it. Leonard Fournette is going to be a stud behind him. He's going to get the ball 30, 35 times a game. And then going forward for their defense, they, they have their guys locked down to contracts. I agree with you in the sense that they can afford to have Blake Bortles as their quarterback. Which but everyone wants a franchise quarterback. But they didn't afford him. They overpaid for him. That's the difference. They didn't do what they could afford. They they paid huge money for this guy. Well, that's just the era even, of the NFL. Without even pursuing other options, right? So that's they can afford. Years, they, not it's not they can, huge they can money. Pursue, for a guy like Bortles, it is. For a guy who can't go through two progressions on and any Mike single Glenn, play. And Mike Lennon got $20 million? Well, and I would never stand behind that either. But I'm saying you at least maybe draft someone, go after someone else, play the play the free agent market, see what you can get. Also, don't well, forget I, it's three years. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that this is a unbelievable deal because yes, quarterbacks get overpaid. That's the that's the sad truth in today's NFL. If you have a quarterback that looks like they're going to be a franchise quarterback, you're going to get overpaid. That's the fact of the matter in today's NFL. And yeah, this is only a three year deal. So you're not locked down to this guy for, you know, say a five-year deal worth $75, 80000000 Like, you know, that could have been a possibility. So it could have been worse. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> you know it could have been worse? It was an $18 million deal. Signing Brock Osweiler. 20. Right. Well, so, I mean, you could throw out a million ideas that would have been worse. I'm not going to disagree. Brock Osweiler got, what, I think 16, 17-ish? Well, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not out on Blake Bortles either. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think that this is a guy who really struggles to go, like I mentioned, to go through his progressions. But I also think there's a lot of room to improve in his game. And I also think that people jumped on board because it was kind of fun to rag on him at the start of the season. I think he's a more serviceable quarterback than people give him credit for. I'm just kind of disappointed in the Jaguars as an organization that they didn't go out and try he, and do more. He was more. the only person that showed up in my fantasy football championship. I, I, had the, I lost Carson Wentz to an ACL tear, and Blake Bortles stepped up and put up 25 or 30 points, and the rest of my team... Just did not put up anything. It's the only time he I put up twenty five or thirty for the rest nah, of the season. That, 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 whole, that whole month was was unbelievable. He had a, no, he had a know, strong, strong month heading into the playoffs. I just think that Blake Bortles has shown me personally enough that he has what it takes to succeed in the NFL. A matter of if he improves or not, that's that's up in the air. But I think for eighteen million a year, this guy is the Jacksonville Jaguars guy, and they're going to win with him for the next three years. I, I truly do believe that. Yeah, they're going to be competitive. and They're going to be competitive because of that defense. They'd be competitive with me. Yeah, but they but – they, That's listen, probably they were, not true. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they, were one, they were one play away from the Super Bowl. So next year they're going to be close to the Super Bowl Okay, let's say, they, and, and let's, they, let's say they do get to the Super Bowl, right? They they, I think they would have destroyed Nick Foles. You think so? Oh, yeah, that defense is ten times better than the Patriots defense. Well, they they that, and, and that they was, and that harder, was completely offensive Super Bowl, too. So if they could have came in and played some defense, it would have been a yeah, different Bouye, Bouye had not given up a single touchdown pass into the playoffs. And he was their number two quarterback. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't think they would have beaten um, the Eagles. And I think if we're doing an if-then, then we can also say if Carson Wentz was healthy, moreover, do you think they would have beaten the Eagles? That would have been closer. Right, So because we're really looking at, you know. But well, this year, happen. this year, say... That pass actually ended up being caught, which it, he would have walked in for a touchdown. It was a great defensive play, right? right? It was, it they, was they, a great they would have they would have right. been to the Super Bowl. Th- that team was so much better than the Eagles. Right. I don't think that there's an issue with the Jaguars re-signing Bortles. I just have an issue with the amount of money they threw at him because I, I don't think he was going anywhere. In this day and age, had, if you have the money to lock up a franchise quarterback, you do it in today's NFL. Are you now calling Blake Bortles a franchise quarterback? He's yes, their I franchise am. Quarterback. Yes, I am. 
Maybe he's not like an ideal franchise quarterback. Well, every franchise there. has a quarterback. The Browns Listen, have Mark, a Mark, San- Mark Sanchez was a franchise quarterback for his first four years in New York. That that's a fact. Yeah, until the Buff Fumble ruined his contract or ruined his career. He also had a lot more talent around him at the start of his career. He had the best defensive football. Yeah. Just who has the best defensive football right now? Jaguars. Blake Bortles. Does Mark Sanchez exactly. have a ring? He did not because they lost in the AFC Championship twice. It right. was and the Buff lost, Fumble and, and that, the Jaguars that lost in the championship game this year. Yeah, but do you think Mark Sanchez is better than Blake Bortles? I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying, you know, being successful and making it to championship games, having a great defense clearly isn't enough to win. Just had a good running game, but Fournette is better than anything the Jets could throw out. The Jets receiving core was good, but this receiving core is young, athletic, and faster. The Jaguars receiving core is great. Yeah, I I just can't see in any in my mind this Jaguars team outside of the Patriots were the were were the second best team in football before the playoffs started. Obviously, the Eagles won, but I could easily see this Jaguars team beating anyone at any time in any game. Time will tell. Yes. Time will tell. But Time will tell. I guess we'll move more toward back to the basketball court since, you know, football's in the offseason. MLB is hitting spring training. So, Zaza Pachulia. Our f- Yuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, Golden State Warriors played the Thunder, and Russell Westbrook uh, went down after um, a layup, right? Right, and, layup attempt. And Zaza... Just jumped on the ground without it being touched. Just jumped down on Russell Westbrook's legs, trying to do something and hurt him. Now he was also the sole reason why Kawhi Leonard hurt himself and is just has not been himself. And now he's trying to hurt another player. And it's two of the best players in the NBA and their well-being that's at risk here. So well, go for it, go for it, AJ. Here's the thing with me. Uh, I feel very strongly about this, and you guys might disagree, but. In looking at the video, yeah, I'm, I'm unsure about what the circumstances were for the Kawhi Leonard injury, but looking at the video replay slow motion of Zaza coming down on Russell Westbrook, it honestly looked to me like he honestly got his leg caught up. Oh my! On Nick Young. On Nick Young. Right. Oh, well, so it did. It did. It did. And it, and yes, oh, no. you've never been in a situation. Tell me. Tell me this. You've never been in a situation where you're sort of like halfway falling and you. Try to catch yourself, but you still kind of continue falling. Dude, that's literally exactly what happened. He literally just like flopped on. He Not, like put his elbows positioned at all. Hear me Sometimes th- this game is a fast-paced game. Sometimes Zaza's a dirty player. Charlie, hear me out on this. He's a I, dirty I hate Zaza Pachulia for for two reasons. Because I love Russell Westbrook. He's my favorite player in the NBA, and I love Kawhi Leonard, and I hate the Warriors. So three reasons that I hate Zaza Pachulia. Right. Also, for an argument I had with my friend, but that's beside the point. Um, I do think that Zaza is a dirty, dirty player, but I think that it takes that it takes in every single one of these circumstances. You have to buy into that narrative for it to be a mounting case of evidence. What I mean by that is every single time anything comes up, whether it's the Kawhi play, which I, I think you can make the case that the Kawhi play was not intentional. I think you can make the case that the Westbrook play was not intentional. And in order for you to say that this guy's got a history of dirty plays, you have to buy into that narrative for each and every one of the plays. I don't think anything, right? Like when you look at at, at the play, like the uh, the Kelly Oubre play, sorry, the Kelly Olenek play, where he pulled Kevin Love's shoulder out, right? Like that is clearly intentional. That is clearly a dirty play. Zaza took an extra step when Kawhi was coming down on a shot while he closed out with his head turned the other way. This time, they, Nick these Young, are two potentially unintentional right. circumstances. I just think here. you have to give him to some degree a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Which is what I'm saying. Maybe, uh, totally. Maybe it was not intentional. I just the, the thing is, like, I'm, I'm pulling up the replay right now just to rewatch it. 
And the thing is, it's just that's great radio. <laughs> yeah, obviously you can't see it, but it's uh, just now you're rubbing it in their face. But just when you, <laughs> but just when you're when you're looking at the play, it just seems like Zaza's take. Well, I'm talking about the Kawhi one right now. Okay, it just looks like he takes that extra step and he he just he just he he was already up. He put his hand up. He jumped and then he took another hop step. And right. Put his foot so here's under what I'm saying. Leg. Here's what I'm saying. You have to build a case as to why it's dirty. I don't disagree. I think when that, you play basketball, wait, no, no. I just think that that Zaza, generally, with the amount of stuff that's happened, I think it's pretty fair to say that he's probably a dirty player, and he probably meant to close out an extra step on Kawhi, and probably knew that it was a possibility that he'd get injured. But did he knowingly on that play say, "I'm going to close that extra step. I'm going to sideline Kawhi for the rest of next season. I'm going to knock him out of this series." I don't think that that's the kind of dirty player he is. I think Honestly, that Kelly Olynyk said, "I'm about to rip Kevin Love's shoulder out." That's what Kelly Olynyk said. I, I I don't think that. I mean, I. Not actually said, but that's what I think you can interpret as a fair intent there. I don't think that you can say that Zaza for sure had that intent. I think it's totally plausible, totally plausible that it was an accident. I'm not saying it is, but it's plausible. I, I just the thing is, when I play basketball and I close out on players, I don't. You you are always you always are aware of where you are on the court and where he's landing. It's just a thing that you know. At least if you know basketball, and he's an NBA player. If, um, I'm I play pickup basketball in Archbold. If, if if JaVale McGee did it, would you be saying that his awareness should be high enough that, that he would know better? I don't. I, I mean, I'd have to see how – if JaVale McGee did the same exact thing, I would have said it was a dirty play. I just think there's a total, complete, utter difference between a intentional play like the one with Kelly Olenek or a play like this where Zaza literally takes an extra step and has his leg gets caught up in another player like – Things happen on the court at fast pace. So you're going back to to the other night's game now yeah, with now Westbrook. I'm going back to the play with Westbrook here. The whole thing with Kawhi, I'm a little unsure of, but I just think that you can't hold it against a player. Yeah, maybe he has had a history of being involved in other players' injuries, other star players' injuries, but I don't think that this play, among looking back at it, that he really, truly meant to hurt Russell Westbrook. Right, and I'm not saying that, that Zuz is a clean player by any stretch or that he's a fair player by any stretch. When you look back at when he elbowed Westbrook in the face and stood over him or when he went down to the floor with Kawhi a couple of years ago and got tangled up and pulled his arm, kind of like Olenek did to Kevin Love, I, I think that I'm not saying that Zaza is a saint in the NBA. I'm just speaking to these plays individually. I think there's total potential. I know, and Charlie's showing me the play now. Look at this, No, look at this photo. Tell, yeah. me th- th- tell me that he does not look like he would not land on his leg right there. He is going to land on his leg there. No, he's he is moving. He's moving toward. We're looking at a photo of Russell Westbrook laying on the ground, and it's a freeze frame of Zaza about to fall on it. Yeah, it does not look like he's going to land to the right. So you want? Like, so I'm you're, just saying, I don't even think he's falling. So put yourself in Zaza. He look like he's falling he's right on, here. He's just got on the one knee. Look at the back angle. Nick Young's foot catches. This the is back absolutely of his knee. horrid radio, and I apologize to anyone who's listening right now, but. I just want to make it clear that the other option is that he fell on his face, which no, I don't but think I, it, would have been. it's more like you land on the chest. But anyway, I don't think he was falling. I did not think he was falling. I think that he was intentionally doing it, and we're going to agree to disagree well, so, on this. Well, so, no, just hear me out. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm really not disagreeing with you. I think Zaza's a dirty player. I'm just saying, in order to make that claim, you have to buy into that narrative for every single one of his plays that's considered dirty, where I think it's totally plausible that none of them were dirty. See, that's I, all I'm saying, is that there's a possibility that this is a total misconception of a totally innocent player. But I agree with you, and I do buy into that narrative, but I'm slightly biased in the fact that it's been two of my favorite players, and he plays for my See, least favorite I, team. I don't like the NBA as much as you. I think that it's 
a powerhouse, two teams that are going to win every it's year. It's down. very predictable. That's why I don't like it. And when I watch these plays, and I and I relate it back to just like me playing basketball or like just watching it, it just seems like he goes that extra mile to ju- or that extra inch. He takes that extra inch and will do something to help his team win. Right. And whether definitely- that's because right now the Thunder are playing. Unbelievable. Right. Well, Zaza, I will say, and we can move on to the Thunder in a second. Zaza, what we can all agree on is he's not afraid of the repercussions of possible extra actions. Yes, but but if right, you, we can agree on that. Yes, but Correct. if you if you the Spurs had won, they they were winning the first game by what twenty points. Yeah, it was a when the injury when their injury happened, and now then the Warriors won. That was the only team that could have given them the run for their money, and now the Thunder are playing out of their minds, and he's trying to take out. If he takes out Russell Westbrook, Westbrook. The Thunder have no way they can come back and right. beat. Right. So anybody. let's talk about let's talk about it though. The Thunder is a threat in the Western Conference. I think slightly. Yeah. Not, not. I I think Houston's still the biggest threat to the Warriors. Right. I wouldn't I agree with that. that. I, I I agree with you there, Charlie. Uh, but I do think that they're really starting to click, and it's a fun team to watch. It's yeah. Exciting. I think that the, the Robertson injury um, is definitely big for them, and. Uh, Defensively, they've started to struggle a little bit since he went out, and then obviously they haven't. As much as people forget, he's an awful offensive player. Terrible. But he was still awful. averaging more points per game than any of the guys they've started in his place this season um, have been able to put up outside of Yeah, but of that's because now they're not touching the ball as much. Right, because they might trust them even less than they trusted yeah. him on the offensive side of the ball. So I think that the Thunder, and I, I, this was a, a case I saw made on Twitter by a few of the analytics guys that I follow, as much as they miss his defense, they might also be missing his offense. Ooh. And uh, not a lot, but enough that when you're talking about Ooh. a five-point— No, but you have the guys who have started in his place in the majority of their games have not scored, whereas he was averaging five-and-a-half points a game. But how many, That's a five-and-a-half-point game difference. How many shots difference. is he taking compared to them? I don't know the numbers on probably that. Less. Probably Probably less. Um, I'm just saying that I think that you, you can say that the veteran aspect of him being on the offensive side of the ball and the five points he would give you on five smart shots, you know, potentially they're missing that. But, of course, on defense they're missing it too. They're still a top-ten team in team defense— uh, and defensive rating, I think they're yeah they're at eighth uh, for defensive rating, so they're going to be in the conversation. The only issue, as far as that concerns, as the far as the playoffs are concerned, is that ahead of them are the Warriors uh, and the Spurs. So when you're talking about threats coming out of the West, and you really want to make the case that defense is what's going to keep you in it, there are better defensive teams with a better shot uh, to to win the chip. Yeah, and the hardest thing that I think really is the downfall of the Thunder is that they have their three best players are three ISO players. I agree with that. Yeah. I think that they've begun to progress as a team and figured out how to play off of each other. But at the same time, they make their money in isolated yeah. possessions. They're like not. They're gonna. They're gonna give them the ball. They're gonna clear out. They're gonna take a shot. And you know, if they're on, they're on. And if they're off, they're off. And they're screwed. Right. Well, they go as the team goes. And I think when people talk about jump shooting teams and they talk about um, star power teams and before the Warriors change the narrative about what you can do as a jump shooting team, uh, I think. This may have been the kind of team people were talking about when they say jump shooting teams can't win championships because stereotypically we're accustomed to jump shooting teams being isolation players with an outside shot, not the Warriors who which is have, an entirely different right who have a great offensive maybe even the Rockets game right and the Rockets the same way but again the Rockets are incredibly smart with what they do and James Harden offensively is stronger than any one of the players oh, of James right. Harden yeah, he's the best player in basketball right. he's a shooter uh, behind LeBron right well on the offensive end there's no question he's the best player in basketball yeah. um, one thing I think does bode well for the Thunder as far as playoffs are concerned is that off two days rest this season seventy two percent winning percentage I think that bodes pretty well for them when they have when they when they travel right for a series yeah i think i think you can look at all of these deep analytics and try to predict what can happen in the playoffs and i do agree that it does it does make a difference playing off of rest 
But that prop, that number, I I don't know. But if I were to guess, I would guess that the good teams in the NBA, that number is very high as well. So I no, don't I, think that it's something that you could say would be a reason why they would do well in the playoffs necessarily. Yeah. Yes, I mean it helps to get a little more rest always, no matter what. But the other team is obviously going to be getting rest too. Right. The I think I it just, all just boils back down to whether Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. Hit shots, when, right? You know, right. In, in the big time clutch. That's what it's going to come down to at the end. I'm just saying that when you consider that they they're 18 and 18 off of one day rest, and the playoffs essentially give you more rest, right? If you if you sweep a season a series early, you get more rest before the next series. And when you tra- when there are travel days, you're going to get back to you're going to back to back days of rest. That's all I'm saying. Uh, is that right. I think that that bodes particularly well for them. Well, it might benefit other teams. I think it benefit they have the most room to benefit from that, considering they've only split their games off one day's rest. Right. And now, our time for our favorite segment, the betting my, table. My favorite segment, because... Yeah, I stink. Because I, I think I'm three and six, right? Well, Ryan, what, what Ryan, Ryan? Ryan is just doing... He's cheating. ...unbelievably and blowing us out no, of he's, water he's, right pa- now. he's paying the players to throw the games. Right, we let's all talk know. about a real NCAA scandal yeah, here. Ryan going <laughs> in and paying the, the college basketball players to throw the game. <laughs> so yeah. we've, we've made nine picks so far. Uh, that's three weeks of three picks. AJ is four and five, respectable, but struggling. Charlie three and six. Okay, that that first week of zero and three doesn't count. I'm it, three I mean, three. it counts on the sheet. Uh, the one and two this week wasn't that yeah, much no, better. Yeah, no, that wasn't good. And then here I am sitting at seven and two, seven and two. I'm sorry, but I got to toot my own horn a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're bad last week, but this week you're unbelievable. Um, so basically, this past week we had Syracuse. You say I was uh, bad last week? We're in, like, I went two and one. When did you? Were you two and one, two and one, three and zero? Yep. Oh, okay. I thought you were one and two. No. Oh wow. No, sir. All right. So this week we got a full slate, but, but, but let's just talk about last week real quick. It was Syracuse, UNC. Me and Ryan had UNC, and AJ took the hometown team. Almost pulled it off. I, not I good enough. I was so close. It was a tie ball game with minutes left to go in the second. So we've picked three Syracuse games, if you include what we're going to discuss later in the yeah. show today. And well, what uh, spoiler alert, AJ has picked Syracuse Again. three times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, one of these games, they're going to bring it home. Oh, yeah, I let's, also, let's also add AJ is 0-3. Well, 0-2 and soon to be 0-3 when picking Syracuse. So, I mean, when, when picking Syracuse uh, this week, we got Syracuse hosting Clemson. One, and the one other game we picked last week, so we had UNCQ's oh, yeah, Bucks at Raptors and Michigan at Penn State. Yeah, Bucks-Raptors was a overtime game with the Bucks right. won, which is where me and AJ lost Terrible. that. Right. And then Michigan-Penn State. Penn State played... Just horrible, horrible. Right, and, and Michigan, yeah. Michigan won. Yeah, that so game. that's where I lost, and the, them two won. But this week we have, but or no, that was last week. Uh, Houston. No, we switched that up. It's 76ers at Kansas. Oh, right. Clemson yeah. at Syracuse and UNC at Duke. Okay, so let's start with Syracuse. Syracuse hosting Clemson. AJ, <laughs> I think we all know what what you're gonna do. <laughs> so, here's here's the where the old adage, uh-huh. third times a charm. Let's see where this goes. Is about to come into play. <laughs> When the Syracuse Orange take on the Clemson Tigers and totally <coughs> pull off that big upset in the Carrier Dome, you guys are going to be frowning, and I'm going to be sitting over here laughing my you-know-what off because they're going to win over against here. Tigers. You're going to be sitting in my seat. Syracuse, because you'll be hosting next week. That's, Syracuse. Got spoiler alert. <laughs> Syracuse is bad at basketball. That's it. Bad at basketball, but but let me tell you one thing that we talked about earlier is they are really good at making other teams bad at basketball too. This much is true. 
So who knows if they're going to be able to go out there and put on an offensive show maybe for the first time in the whole season. I have a little bit of faith as a Syracuse fan. I'm going to execute that right now and make the pick. Okay. Charlie, make your case. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it's just Clemson is a three-point shooting team. And the 2-3 zone is horrible with three-point shooting teams. Last week, as a Duke game as an exception. Yeah, exception. exception. But normally speaking, if you can make your threes, you're going to beat Syracuse. Right, Duke got open looks. They just missed yes. them. Let's, let's put that out And Clemson well. is a three-point shooting team, one of the best, if not the best, in the ACC. I just see there is no way that Syracuse is going to be able to to upset Clemson. If they do, you know, maybe they're an NCAA tournament hope, and that's the only reason why I could see them winning. But I just can't. This team, I said this against UNC, that they could maybe win. I said this against NC State. It's just they they just break down every time at the end of the game. So, so I'm going uh, I'm going with the uh, away team, Clemson. Yeah, so I'm going with you as well. But, AJ, you had mentioned maybe this will be the first time we see that offensive, offensive explosion from the team this season. If I recall correctly from my limited math classes I've taken – um, 30, 30 data sets is what you need. 30 uh, sets of data, 30 examples is what you need to create a statistical trend Like at the, at the minimum. Syracuse has played 29 games this year, and they haven't played offense yet. So I'm going to stick with what's wow. almost a statistical wow. trend and say Syracuse does not put on a show like AJ mentioned they could, and they're going to lose to Clemson. Right, they did do well against Louisville. But the next game we got lined up, another ACC matchup. We got UNC at Duke. Um, I guess this, this is a, this one's gonna sweep the board. I yeah, have a feeling. Yeah, uh, hey, Ryan, I guess you can go quick. Right yeah, here. man. I mean, Duke's one of the best teams in the country. Roy Williams is a great coach over at North Carolina, Hall of Famer, one of the best in the country, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, and they always are gonna have a chance in any game they play. But Duke at home, UNC took the first one. I think Duke's gonna take the second one in this series. I've got Duke. Couldn't agree more. Nothing more to say, honestly. Duke is just a better team. Yeah, and we saw it against Syracuse. Duke's a better team. Duke all around for us. There's no way Duke's dropping both against North Carolina. Right. And the last basketball game we got uh, here, we got 76ers at the Cavaliers. Cavaliers just came off, actually, their home loss against the Spurs, and we kind of were debating on putting that on the betting table, and no one wanted to pick the Spurs. So this time I'm picking the Philadelphia 76ers. I think that the process is going to work. I think that this is the time where, Sy- where oh wow, Syracuse, Cleveland is going to start struggling. They're going to obviously figure it out. Which by, I mentioned after yes, the trade. Yes, which you mentioned. I think that this, it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen again. I think the Sixers are a very talented team. They've been playing extremely well recently. And I just see the Cavaliers getting a little jumbled up. They're going to fix it before playoff time. But another one, another one, another home loss for the Cavaliers and a win for 76ers. Who? Yeah, I, I'm taking the Cavs in this game uh, only because I find it very difficult to bet against LeBron James. Um, and I think that there's absolutely a chance the 76ers win this one. This is definitely one that was hard for me to pick. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, take LeBron. I'm going to take him at home, and I'm going to bet on the Cavs. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ryan. I was just going to mention the fact that this game is in, in Cleveland, uh, and LeBron at home, as we all know, is, is pretty devastating. And I really do think that this young team is going to bounce back after a loss and show us what they're made of going into playoff time. So there you have it. I have Clemson, 76ers, and Duke. And I have Syracuse, Duke, and the Cavs. And I have Clemson, Duke, and the Cavs as well. So I guess we'll see next week. Hopefully I am not um, under uh, under a 500 this week. Hopefully I can go 2-1. <laughs> and one. But... Uh, we will still put see you, about still that. Put you, two and one would put you at under 500. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's okay. That's okay. We're, we're, little gains, little steps at a time. You know what I mean? Baby I'm coming, steps. I'm coming back. Baby steps. Thank you for coming around and listening to us on WERW.
This Got it right. Is, <laughs> this is the post game. See you next week.